your way back to your seats. We're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 3. We're going to be reading through Judges chapter 3 and 4 for our sermon this morning and covering that ground in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And the title of the message this morning is The First Deliverers. The First Deliverers. Looking forward, Crossfire, parents and teens, to the mini-golf upcoming this week. Also, please be praying for John and I will be away on a planning retreat this week. And I pray that God will bless that time. And uh, pray for our families as well as we are away. Just that God will be glorified. And So Judges chapter 3 and 4, we're going to read Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 to begin. Let's read God's word together. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Leba Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Kishan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kishan Rishathim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel the son of Kenaz, died. Again, the title of the message is The First Deliverers. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the way that you deliver your people again and again and again. We thank you so much for your faithfulness to your people. And I pray that your faithfulness would be impressed upon us as we look into your word here in Judges chapters 3 and 4. Strengthen our faith and equip us for our daily lives. And Cause our love for Jesus and our service to Jesus, your son, to deepen and to grow even more zealous. So I ask you to do this and that you would prepare us for spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, it's so fitting that we would be praying for Sri Lanka in our prayer for the nations this month. And Joshua did an excellent job referring to the incident um, Early last uh, last month during Easter Sunday when 250 Christians died on Easter Sunday as they went to church and were bombed there. 250 Christians died, 500 were injured, and I heard a report this week that Christian persecution around the world is increasing, and some reports talking about it reaching genocidal proportions. Church, let us pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. Let's pray for us that God would enable us to be faithful to, as Joshua said, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and be faithful to preach the gospel under increasing hostility and persecution. You'll be happy to know that reports are also up related to Muslims that are converting to Christianity. 
and are amongst the Christians who are being persecuted. The gospel's going into hard soil. Soil where the gospel's not welcome and you just cannot keep Christ out. You can't keep the Holy Spirit out doing what He does. Convicting men and women of sin and children of sin and bringing conviction to them. Helping them to see their need for a Savior like He did for us. And then bringing them to the foot of the cross so that they might be saved. There's courageous men, women, and children who have left the false god of Islam to come and worship the one and true God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and was risen from the grave. Brothers and sisters, there's good news of the gospel's advance, but the gospel is advancing in the midst of much spiritual warfare. And we must be alert to this. In many respects, this message is going to touch in on that. You know, when I think about 250 Christians dying on Easter Sunday, that's a frightening thing to all of us, just at face value to look at it. And certainly here in the U.S., we've learned that we are not removed from violence and from violent attacks. But there's attacks from without and there's attacks from within. And what you see here amongst the people of Israel here is that there was a breakdown that began to take place in them, which was moral in nature. The context we find ourselves here in, in Judges chapter 3, is it's the years after Joshua had died and Caleb's son-in-law, Othniel, is alive and the people of Israel are beginning to not remember what it's like to be in warfare. And you see in Judges chapter 3, 1 and 2, some key principles here. Now these are the nations that the Lord left. So the Lord left nations. And here's the reason why, and this is our first point, God tests. He left nations to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. And here's an insight into the heart of God for why He tested His people by leaving these nations surrounding them. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. To teach war to those who had not known it before. There was an entire generation of Israelites in the context of this passage, brothers and sisters, who did not know the warfare of their fathers and their grandfathers and that which their mothers and fathers had experienced and the overcoming of the Canaanites. They grew up and there's a testing that the Lord sends into this next generation so that they might know war. We also see part of the heart of God in this testing is seen in verse 4. They were for the testing of Israel. These nations being left. This is a second part of the test. To know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And so they lived amongst the Canaanites. It says there in verse 5, but we see sadly in verse 6 and 7 what resulted from this. The people of Israel, it says, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, meaning the daughters of the Canaanites, they took to themselves for wives, And their own daughters, the daughters of Israel, they gave to the Canaanite sons, which was expressly forbidden by God in His commandments through Joshua and through Moses, through the law of God. This was forbidden, and yet Israel did not obey the Lord, and they compromised spiritually and gave their daughters and their sons over to intermarriage with the Canaanites around them. This represented a real attack from within, a moral corruption where they began to ignore the law of God and began to just carry out what the one of the themes in the book of Judges is, which we've looked at already in, in Judges, in the very last verse of the book of Judges. I was reading this just the other day. The very last verse of the book of Judges is our memory scripture for the book of Judges. Judges 
21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see the fruit of it here when they give their daughters to their sons and their sons to their daughters. And there's a responsibility here, brothers and sisters, in relation to uh, parents and teens. We've all got to own this and recognize. Teens, we need to have a conviction as you're getting older. And young people, as you're getting older, you want to settle a conviction in your heart that you will not be unequally yoked in marriage with an unbeliever. Settle it right now as conviction in your own soul and begin to walk it out. Begin to draw close in friendship to those who are going to increase your passion for God. Be attracted to those who love Jesus and who are committed to his church. Make sure that you aren't drawn away from God by being attracted to those who are not of God. This is a very important principle again and again seen in the Old Testament and in the New, and in the New when the Lord commands His people in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It's just a flat-out command, and it's something for us to really, really take to heart. But there's a compromise represented here with the people of Israel doing this. And we see where it leads. They, they don't just intermarry. They begin to serve their gods. A lot of times people think, well, I can marry somebody. They're, gonna, they're not going to influence me for the bad. I'll influence them for the good. But you see that an entire nation of people began to serve the gods of the Canaanites because they were compromising on this principle of marrying other believers. They didn't do that, and they began to compromise, and they began to drift. And verse 7 is so sad. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you never think you're going to get here. But they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. These were the gods of the Canaanites. The Baals was, was the main god of the Canaanites. And Asheroth was the main goddess of the Canaanites. And Israel gave themselves over to false god worship. And it says in verse 8, as a consequence of that, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia. There's important lessons here for us, important applications, church, as we look at God tests. And the first thing I just want to say is if we think that the testing of God's people is simply something that's taught in the Old Testament, that's not true. We look in James chapter 1, where the Word of God says, listen carefully, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, or mature, one translation says, lacking in nothing. So God tests us to produce steadfastness, which is good. God tests us to prove our faith, to strengthen our faith. God never tests us with ill intent in his heart. He tests his people for our good and for his glory. And to render us more mature, more strong in the faith. James 1 goes on to say this in another verse many of you would know well. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God tests his people. And we see it here in Judges chapter 3, 1 through 6, that the Lord left the Canaanite nations around the people of Israel whom he loved, in order to help them learn war. Verse 2. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. Now there's the type of spiritual warfare that exists from without. There's persecution like our brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka experienced on Easter Sunday, which is absolutely tragic. And we may, in fact, face more of that ever increasingly here in the U.S. as well as time goes on. 
But brothers and sisters, there's another temptation that comes from without, and that is the temptation toward worldliness. It doesn't come in the form of a bomb. It comes more in the form of subtle temptations to lead us away from our love for Christ and to begin to fall in love with this world and the temporary things of this world and to slowly, bit by bit, break down our resolve to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I would imagine that what we are going to face in terms of spiritual warfare is certainly going to be the call to love our enemies, those who are dealing violence out to us and to preach the gospel to them. But also, we must take note of the spiritual warfare that comes from without and the people of Israel, from the Canaanites who are around them, who are friendly to them, who are willing to give their children to their children in marriage. They're not attacking them. They want to integrate. And we must take stock, brothers and sisters, of where we are being lulled to sleep within our culture rather than to recognize the temptation toward the insidious battle with worldliness. We give way to it. And we begin to bit by bit over time become more and more passive and indifferent to the wickedness in our culture and to slowly bit by bit drift away to the point where we take small steps which lead to bigger steps to where we get to the point, like it says in verse 7, they forgot the Lord their God. We must take note that this happened to God's people. And so it can happen to us if we're not careful. We never want to take an approach of that will never happen to me. We always want to be vigilant. And God tests us as his people so that we would not grow slothful and lazy, but that we would be men and women and children ready for war. God wants his people battle ready at all times. And again, the principle here isn't just Old Testament in terms of the physical battles that the people of Israel faced under the Old Covenant, but you see it immediately translated in the New Testament under the New Covenant with passages like Ephesians 6, where the Word of God comes and says to us, the Holy Spirit says to us, put on the full armor of God. What that's talking about is a 24-7-365 disposition in every single one of us to be ready for war, engaging in the war, and brothers and sisters, there's an ever-increasing need for us all to be equipped so that we would be battle-ready and battle-effective. The Apostle Paul, when he died, said, I have fought the good fight of the faith. I fought the good fight. We must never forget that within our Christian lives, we are in a fight of faith. And I think one of the big battles in our day, the big temptation in the American culture, the context where we live, is everything in our culture is conspiring to take the fight out of every one of us. They're happy with Christians who are not engaging in spiritual warfare, sitting on the sidelines. And you think, how are they seeking to take the fight out of this? Well, here's where it happens for us. And just by way of practical application in our culture and in our context, there is a spirit today in our age that says this, and in our American culture, you can't hold or believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Are you kidding me? You can't stand behind the authority of the Word of God and say that the Word of God alone is truth. If it works for you, great, Christian. But it's not about the truth. It's about your truth and my truth. 
It's not about believing in Jesus as the truth. It's about believing your truth and never interfering with someone believing in their truth. So if you call what the Bible says is sin, sin, then we will treat you like an outcast and a hate monger. And we will let you feel all of our outrage. And we will make you an outcast and treat you as an outsider. Yeah, it's not a bomb. But man, can it be darned effective, brothers and sisters, to just silence us, muzzle us, put us in our little cage and in our little box. Stay there, Christian, and be silent. We're fine with you there. But as the Christian rapper Lecrae sung, and I pray that it would be a conviction that every one of us would have, I'd rather be an outsider. And what we see here in the book of Judges chapter 3, 1 and 2, is that God intentionally tests His people to prepare them and strengthen them for war. So that they will stand and fight. And fight with compassion. Fight with tears in your eyes as you're pleading for the lost to repent and believe in Jesus because there's no hope for them ever to go to heaven unless they repent and believe in Jesus. They're going to go to an eternity in hell. And so the urgency of the gospel is very real and let us never forget that urgency. One of the things the culture is going to scream to us is, it's not that urgent. People have all kinds of different roads that will end up leading them to heaven. We must remember that there is only one way to heaven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And we must not compromise on that, and we must recognize that we are going to have to fight to hold on to this conviction in our own souls because everything is screaming to get it out of us. So we want to fight with tears in our eyes, with compassion towards those in the world who are ensnared by the spirit of this age, ensnared by the false worldviews and ideologies that our culture has propagated. And instead, we want to fight and shine and be used of God to be salt and light in this world. We are here on mission, brothers and sisters. We are here to make a difference and to shine for Christ and to not hide our light under a bushel. The world would be very happy for us to do so, wants us to do so, hates us when we don't do so. But as the word says, if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? We must not lose our saltiness. We must not lose our ability to engage in the fight. So let us fight against worldliness in our lives. Let us look into our own hearts, recognizing where we're being tempted from without, from our American culture and elsewhere. Where are you currently tempted toward worldliness, dear brother and sister? Where am I? Let us look at that, take stock of that, and fight against it. Let's fight against not just the enemies from without, but the enemy within. Our own remaining indwelling sin that is still there in our hearts would seek to lead us astray bit by bit over time. And so where we see temptation, where we see patterns of struggle and sin, let us take seriously our bad tempers. Let's Take seriously where we battle with lust and impurity. Let us take seriously where we have sinful thoughts and sinful speech and sinful actions. True born-again believers, they fight against their flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated by the grace of God and secure in the grace of God. But brothers and sisters, they fight. Let us be fighters. Because God is molding us and crafting us to be so. God intentionally tests His people here in Judges chapter 3 that we would be strong. 
in warfare. He wants to teach the next generation warfare. And when, the, when we hear in the gospel in the chapter that Ben read to us in the call to worship, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can, how can they hear unless someone preaches the gospel to them? Let us never forget, brothers and sisters, that in addition to serving our church and our brothers and sisters in Christ, in addition to tending to our own souls to make sure that we're being fed and nourished and that we grow and that we worship the Lord, let us never forget that God has placed us here on mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. The reason God has given you your specific co-workers where you work is so that you might win them to Jesus Christ over time. The reason he's given you your classmates at school, in college, how are they going to hear unless someone preaches to them? The reason God's given you, friend, your teammates on your team or your unbelieving friends who share the same interests and hobbies and activities that you do your neighbors, your specific extended family, is that they might come to know Jesus through you. And practically speaking, I just want to encourage us to take steps, baby steps, with engaging in the fight. Start by prayer. Make a list of the people that you want to see get saved. Pray for them. Never forget that they will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. And fight. Fight for them. Fight for them in prayer. Fight for them in intercessory prayer and cry out to God. Let us cry out to God together for the lost. And also... As we pray, our hearts are going to be moved more and more with the plight of the lost. Let us never forget that we are called to be messengers of the gospel. We are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. Let us pray for them, but let us let us speak. Let us reach out. Let us not think of evangelism as, as a personality thing that I'm not really good at that. No, you're perfect to reach the people around your circle of relationships. God has put you in their lives to be salt and light and to make a difference for them in the gospel. Fight for them. You know, I was just thinking about this. You see such a difference there in Judges chapter 3. Going back to Judges 1, there's that happy story. Remember with Caleb back in Judges chapter 1 where Caleb says to his brothers in the Lord, Hey, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I'll give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, here he is now in chapter 3, a judge of Israel, a deliverer for Israel, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. I thought to myself, Ah, that's what we want to see in our young men. We want to see blood on the sword. So I was just praying for this message, just praying for God to help us as a church. Let there be blood on the sword for the men and women and children in this church. And we all can do something for the gospel. We can all pray for that one friend that we know, that we work with, who does not know Christ. And guess what? God has placed you there so that you can be an influence on them for the gospel. Pray. Start to engage in the warfare a bit. Start to, like David, start to tackle the bear so that later on when Goliath is standing in front of you, you won't back down either. Fight the little battles that build up to the bigger ones. Let's start by baby steps and engaging young men, young women in crossfire. I want to encourage you. We want to see, just like the passage says here in verse 2, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Parents, this is our responsibility to teach war to our children. 
We are not bringing up our children simply to try to protect them from the world and keep them shielded. Yes, we want to protect them, but we want to help them to engage so that they can be the arrows that they're meant to be. The Psalms call our children arrows, and the reason it is is because they're ammunition. A warfare, again, that language. We're here for purpose. We're here for mission. There's, a, there's meant to be a zeal and a fire, moms and dads, in our hearts to raise up these little arrows and send them forth so that they hit their mark. I want to prize my son and my daughter being an arrow for the gospel more than them prospering in the eyes of the world. If they're poor and yet they're an arrow, oh, let that be the very definition of success here. Let them see the fire for Christ in our own eyes, moms and dads. Let them see us Engaging in spiritual warfare and prayer and evangelism and in every other good thing. Prayer and fasting and crying out to God. Let that spirit of warfare reside upon us who are older and let us transmit it through our example, parents and grandparents, to our little ones so that they grow up young warriors and warrior princesses for the glory of God. This is a real burden. How is it that an entire generation grows up and within one generation, they, they, they lose it all? Yes, it's, it's on the children, but it's also on the parents. We have got to carry a zeal for what we're doing here together for Jesus. There's nothing else that matters but Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It just makes total sense to me that we want to, and the best way for us to use our lives is to join Christ in building what Christ is building, which is his church. Giving ourselves over to building what Christ is building. Oh, brothers and sisters. That's the way to go about life. That's what we want to transmit to our sons and daughters and to our grandsons and granddaughters doing everything we can by our life and our example, but also through our words, charging them. And I love Caleb, wholeheartedly devoted to God there in Judges chapter 1. Hey, listen, go and capture that city, and I'll give you my daughter as a wife. I just There's something so cool about that. We want it to be that there's stories of victory where young Women are praying and evangelizing and seeing their girlfriends be one to Christ and added to his church. Where young men have a fight and an initiative in them. They're prepared for warfare. They're engaging in warfare. For the glory of God. Yeah, we may not end up having a bomb hit us which certainly can be a great thing without the Lord to fear. But brothers and sisters, there's something else to fear as well. And that's all of us succumbing to the world telling us to be silent. Step back into your cage, believer. And us succumbing to that through spiritual lethargy because we won't get up and pick up the sword and engage in the fight. We all must carry a zeal. And we must see the good intention of God that He tests His people by giving us fights, giving us trials to strengthen us so that we will glorify His name and be steadfast and mature, lacking in nothing. And let us remember that in the midst of all these tests. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Oh, so brothers and sisters, God tests and he prepares his people for war. Let us raise up our children with a wartime mindset 
And let us exemplify that wartime mindset by engaging in the fight. And let us boast in the Lord together of the conquests that God gives to us by the power of His might. Oh, I'm praying for this individual that they would get saved. Oh, I got a chance to invite this person out to church last week and I got a chance to share the gospel with my coworker who I've been praying for for two years. I was scared to death to do it and I finally did it. Mm, yes, those are the kind of stories we want to talk about and celebrate one to another where the Lord is training us bit by bit to pick up the sword, to engage the fight so that as we are moving ahead, we will be able to conquer greater and greater foes. So let us fight against the world. Let us fight against the flesh. Let us fight against the devil and do everything we can to live our lives here. I throw this word out to you. Zeal. Zeal. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, the wisdom literature says. In the scriptures. Do it with all your might. Give everything you got to this with Jesus. Don't go half-hearted. Be like Joshua and Caleb of old who wholeheartedly gave their lives over to the Lord. And be the type of men and women like Othniel here and Deborah in chapter 4 who were greatly used as men and women of God for his glory. They prioritized the kingdom of God and the people of Israel and the ways of God, and the word of God. And look at how God used them. They were deliverers from oppression. Don't you want to be a deliverer of those who are under oppression? I know I do. And I'm so moved. I'm moved personally, brothers and sisters, because I can just feel the world trying to muzzle me. I can feel the world trying to silence me and trying to get me to back off of God's precious word. Friends, listen, Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. And if we as believers let go of him and let go of that, they've got nothing. So the most loving thing that we can do for this world is to lay hold of Jesus and cling to Jesus with all of our might, with zeal and passion, and worship our Lord in spirit and in truth, and go forth marching on to spiritual war for the glory of God, remaining on point, remaining on mission, so that all might come to know this great Savior who shed His blood and died for us. That was a burden. That was a real burden. And I can feel you all with me. I can feel it. Don't you want to be used to the full for God in this glory, in this short life that we have to live for Him? I know you do. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and let there be zeal in God's house. Romans 12 says, let him who leads, lead with zeal. Oh, you walk in here and it's never just another Sunday morning. It's another Sunday to worship the risen Christ. And I'm going to give him everything I've got today. I'm going to be so saturated with his truth, like Deborah, whom we'll learn about, that I'm going to be a blessing to my brothers and sisters in Christ in so many different ways. I want to be used for the glory of God. I want to, as God tests me, I want to... I want for him to find me faithful and steadfast under trial. I don't want to be a fair-weather Christian who only follows Jesus when times are good. And I can see those seeds in my heart. I can see that there's a fair-weather Christian inside of every one of us that we need to fight to drive out. And say, Jesus, I'm your man in sunshine and in thunderstorm. So God tests. Point two, God hears. Again and again, you see in the section we just read in Judges 3, the people of the Lord, if you look at verse 9, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they forgot God, and then they cry out to God, 
And what is amazing, again and again throughout the book of Judges, we're going to see it here in these first deliverers here, in Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Shamgar, that the people of Israel cry out to God and he hears us. I love the way the word of God says in Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, with verse 9. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, let us be amazed at this, amazed at the grace of this, that the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Oh, God, thank you for being like that. When your people, only two verses before, are described as having forgotten you. How awesome is our God that we walk away from him, we purposely rebel against him, we lead ourselves into a place of actually forgetting him and putting him behind our back. Then the consequences of our own sin come so heavily upon us, we finally are brought to our end of our rope and we reach up and we say, God help me, and he's right there. How awesome is our God who hears us. Let us never take it for granted, church. How many times have you allowed distance to come between you and God? And how many times have you turned and said, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me. And he has had mercy on you. He has restored you. He's returned you to himself. Oh, what a great and awesome God. And again and again, you see that throughout the story here in Judges 3 and 4, that God hears his people. They cry out to him in their great distress. Distress, by the way, that they caused themselves through their rebellion. And God in his grace says, I'm here for you. What a father. What a father. And let us worship him, brothers and sisters, for being such a good, good father. I mean, this just causes me to weep when I think of how slow I am to change and how I can still see hardness of heart inside of me. And I, I see the Lord whenever I turn to him. He's just, he's just there. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Maybe some of you feel distant from God right now. Can I encourage you, friend? You don't need to clean yourself up first before you get back to him, which is what so many people say from the mess that you're in right now. Just say, help, help me. And he's there. He's the mover. He's the one that comes all the way to you and lifts you and I up out of the pit and rescues us again and again. Why is our God so awesome and so glorious and so good like this? Oh, let's never take it for granted. Let the Lord, when he looks down upon us as his people here in Christ's community, let him see a people who don't take that for granted. Let us never grow accustomed to the fact that God's ears are attentive to my, my cries. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And point three, God delivers. You're going to see the Lord raise up. He raises up Othniel. He raises up Ehud to deliver the people of Israel. He raises up Shamgar in 331. And then I, I can't wait to get into this story even more in detail next week with Deborah and Barak as we look into the song of, of, of Judges chapter 5 and the song of deliverance, the great song of deliverance in Judges 5. But we see God deliver his people and using his people to be the means of that deliverance. God is the one who is the deliverer. Look at verse 23 of Judges chapter 4. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Israel, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Oh, I love those verses. The people who were so morally compromised that they couldn't even fight have been turned into men and women of God who are warriors. And though they fight hard, and you see there the language of the people of Israel, 
Let this be language describes us, Christ community, in relation to our evangelism and our mission and our desire to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Let it be said of Christ Community Church, by the grace of God, for the glory of God alone, that Christ Community Church pressed harder and harder and harder through the years. They picked up their pace. They ran faster as the Lord Jesus was getting ready to come back until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. We press so hard in our spiritual warfare And we take that responsibility seriously. We want to be men and women shining like lights, like the prophetess and judge of Israel, Deborah, who, as I was studying about her, and I can't wait to get into her more next week in terms of studying her, but brothers and sisters, Deborah was the godliest of all the judges. She was a prophetess and used greatly by the Lord, her knowledge of the word of God to judge matters in Israel combined with her desire and her close relationship with God to inspire Barak and all the Israelite men into war so that they crushed Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron. And by the end of it, Sisera, the mighty oppressor who was greatly hurting and distressing the people of Israel, is is basically completely vanquished, laying in a tent so exhausted he can't even rise up And he's begging a woman of Israel to just lie and say that he's not in the tent so that he can get some rest, so he can just kind of spare his own life. And of course, Jael, the hero woman of Israel, got some blood on her tent peg because she was not going to harbor the enemy as she drove the tent peg through Sisera's temple. Again, the violence of these things, we can kind of separate and think, oh man, how's that relevant for today? The spiritual warfare that we wage, let it be intense in nature. There's, we want to enjoy life and love life, but there's, in the midst of us enjoying life and loving life, I think there can be an engagement with spiritual warfare that is akin to the way the people of Israel fought and saw the deliverance of God in their day. Brothers and sisters, let us do the same. We'll look more into the details of their lives next week, but I wanted to just highlight that though we fight and though we bear responsibility, our ultimate hope for deliverance is not in ourselves and by our might and by our power, but the battle is the Lord's. As verse 23 says in verse, in, in chapter four, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the reason the gospel is going to go forth to the nations, and then the end will come, and Jesus will return triumphantly and bring his bride, his church home to enjoy him forever in heaven, to enjoy not just 40 or 80 years of rest, but eternal rest. The reason that's going to happen is because God sent his only son to die on the cross. And then he rose him up from the dead. And he didn't just conquer earthly human foes. He conquered sin, Satan, and death all in one striking blow. And brothers and sisters, we're going to enjoy heaven forever together with him. Because God has subdued all the forces of darkness through his triumph over the with his son on the cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for your great work. So God tests, God hears, and God delivers. There is no one like our God. Jesus, there's no one like you. If I can have the worship band return, we're going to stand and sing, Jesus, there is no one like you. And let's let him have it, brothers and sisters. And as they come, let, let us all pray that God would increase our zeal to engage in the spiritual warfare that he wants us to engage in. Let us excel in this, Christ community. Thank you for your heart already to engage in it. There, I feel like I'm looking at warriors who are eager to fight more battles. And many of you are weary, even as I get weary and my wife gets weary. But we are not going to stop. We are going to press harder and harder and harder because there's no greater cause than the cause of the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. There's no greater mission 
than submitting our life, life to the King of Kings and living all out wholeheartedly for His glory. Amen? Let us stand and worship Him as He deserves. I sensed from the Holy Spirit that there are some who just feel a, a, a sense of how distant they've been with God lately. And the Lord just wants to invite you back to Himself this morning. He wants you to turn to Him and cry out. He wants you to know He'll be there to answer you. He sent His own Son to die on the cross for your sins. He loves you so much. Turn to Him and repent. And be restored today, dear friend. Come back to Him. Come back to Him. Because there you're going to find true satisfaction for your soul. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, a strong sense from the Holy Spirit. The Lord wishes to say to you, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Thank you, Father. How can we thank you enough for sending Jesus? Jesus, how can we thank you enough for loving us so completely? Oh, Jesus, that you would have died. Oh, Lord, that you would have delivered us from sin and Satan and death, through your own death. We marvel that you would have died for sinners like us, but we are so grateful that not only did you die, but you rose again. Jesus, we praise you, resurrected Lord, King of kings, sitting on your throne. We can't wait for your great return. We can't wait to enter into the eternal rest that will be ours forever. Lord, I pray that you would rise us up as your church and help us to press harder and harder in these days that we have here, these short days, these pilgrim days that we have here on this earth. Use us. Use every man, woman, and child in this church for your glory. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with zeal for your house so that we might be consumed with zeal like Jesus was and be used greatly for your glory. I ask you to do these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can we thank Jesus again for how wonderful he is? There's no one like you. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Church, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. God bless you as you head out from here. Enjoy fellowship. Enjoy friendship. And enjoy your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you.